0: good morning. Acts 3 1 through 10 says now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer and the ninth of the of the ninth hour and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask elms for those entering the temple. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And then all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. At what had happened to him. This ends the reading of God's Word.
1: Thank you, Kimra. You may be seated. That was special. And I want to thank Diane for choosing, Diane Engel for choosing Kimra to read this week because her time with us is short. And uh, it's good to hear her. Voice reading God's word to the congregation. Love it. I, uh, man, I'm looking around and it's full today. The church is f- much fuller than it has been in a couple of years. And um, we've, we've weathered a lot together, and uh, I'm praising God for that. And, and I just, I don't know why this morning when I heard you all sing, I thought of this Matthew 16. Uh, when Peter made his good confession, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Jonah." for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock the rock of his confession I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I don't know we're uh, we're uh, we survived a pandemic We're still here I think that's cause for applause Just me. I know it's still lingering, and there's still cases, and I'm not trying to dis, discount any of that, but it's two years later, and we're still going, and uh, we're going to do what we've always done. We're going to open up the Word of God. This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the passage that Kimmer just read, and, and um, it's, it's, it's got a, a man being healed from his physical infirmities, and so uh, just at the onset, I want to say a few words about that because I, I think that the Scripture paints a drastic contrast between what we see going on in our world today in terms of so-called faith healers. I want to be generous. Uh, again, I, I believe that we can, we can find agreement with anyone who, who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is found in God's Word and uh, practices obedience to God's Word. Uh, but um, there are some today who would call themselves... Uh, who would claim to have the gift of healing uh, folks of their physical infirmities. And I just want to share a few words of contrast before we dive into this text. In this text, what do we see? We see a man who is documented to to have been lame from birth. Uh, We see that he has friends, he has uh, other folks in the community that bring him out to the temple gate every day at the time of prayer so that he can collect, he can beg, he can collect alms from folks passing by. And we see uh, Peter and John come up to the man, and uh, they heal him. And his legs are strengthened, not in a hobbly kind of way, but he, he in fact, is walking and leaping and praising God, right? And uh, this has an immediate impact on the community who sees him and knows him as that man who has been lame from birth and are astounded at what they see. Now, I just, I just bring that to you and in, in contrast that with some of the stuff that we see that is claimed to be faith healing. Folks coming with mysterious back injuries, that, things that we can't see, with no documentation. Benny Hinn takes off his jacket and does some sort of Holy Spirit thing uh, to them, and they fall over slain in the Spirit and, and then claim with their mouth to be healed, and when Folks like us ask, you know, is there any kind of documentation that we can look at? Maybe perhaps a diagnosis and then uh, another exam to show a healing. We're, we're not given that information. We're, we're told that we lack faith. Now, I just want to say again, before, before we even start, do I believe... I'm ask the question to myself in front of you all. Do I believe that God is, is able to heal? Absolutely. He is powerful. He is able the God who created all of this and spoke it into His ver- it spoke this world into its very existence is able to heal. And I'm 100% confident in that, and I'll preach that until the day I die. But I'm also confident in this, is that God's plan for us is better than mine. And so when I ask God in faith to heal, to bring healing to someone, I'm also praying, according to your will, Lord, may it be done. Because I recognize that his plan is. His long-term plan that I can't see is better than our short-term understanding of what would be best right now. And so I have, we have, I think, as a congregation, bore witness to folks uh, uh, being healed, and we've bore witness to to praying for folks being healed, and and they have not been healed according to what we would want, but God's will has been worked out, and that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing, but that's the that's the our understanding of life from the scripture as best as we understand. And so that's what we go with. And so when we see a healing like this in God's word, we have to ask, why is it there? And we're going to talk about that today, but we also need to contrast it with what is going on years ago, just down the street from Delaware Bible Church. Just just down the street where the new health department building is going up, used to stand, when I got here in 2012, used to stand the old building of the Leroy Jenkins Church. And for those of you under 30, I'm not talking about World of Warcraft, okay? I'm not talking about that. Oh, those of you under 30 get it. Those of you over 30 probably don't. And so I'm talking about a preacher that used to operate down the street from the church here called Leroy Jenkins. And I've heard a lot of stories from you folks about Leroy. And I've read a lot of stuff online, and because I kind of want to know, I, cause I kinda wanna know the t- about the town that I live in. And so uh, I've heard stories about how Leroy was a master manipulator and he could, he could back a person up to the steps and even convince them that their leg was growing or their arm was, was growing uh, as he prayed over them and uh, claimed to heal them. But as far as what we have that's documented, we don't have much. Um, a lot of it seems to be parlor tricks. We also can draw a contrast between the character of a, of a Benny Hinn or a Leroy Jenkins and contrast that with the character of a James, I'm sorry, a John or, or a Peter. Uh, Leroy Jenkins is my understanding, some of you can attest to this, uh, used to charge for parking at his church. Now, we've got a building program going on, so thinking about <laughs> stationing Pastor Brad and some of the deacons at the, at the entryways with a little bucket. It's $15 in Columbus. I figured 10 would be cheap here. <laughs> no, we're not doing that, right? We're not doing that. We, 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 uh, we're not in this for the money, right? It takes money to make the, the ministry work, but we, we're not in it for the money. Leroy Jenkins, on the other hand, married later in his life, a, he, he married a 77-year-old widow who had just She just happened, he was deeply in love with her because she had just happened to hit the $6 million Ohio lottery. See the contrast? Let's Let's not mistake, let's not fall for the cheap imitations of what happened in God's word for what some of the shenanigans that we see today. What can we learn from this episode? That's the question today. What can we learn from the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate? Now, uh, <clears throat> uh, just the way this is falling, um, I'm going to, you know, the healing is going to happen and then Peter's going to talk about it. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to hear about it today and then miss a week next week because next week is DCS Sunday. And then the week after that, we'll talk about uh, Peter's speech. But t- today, let's just make some observations from this healing first I want to bring to your attention is this, obedience can bring opportunity. Look at what Peter and John are doing. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to seek, to ask alms of those who were entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go about, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms few observations here. Peter and John were going to prayer. And in Acts 2.42, remember, it talks about this a little bit. It talks about how uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayers. There's a lot of stuff going on in Peter and John's life. They had just experienced the day of Pentecost. They had begun speaking in tongues. Many new people were coming into the church. They've got discipleship work to do. And yet, what do we see as part of their priority? Prayer. The busyness of life, I find that the busyness of life, when my life gets really busy, oftentimes the first thing that gets choked out is my prayer time. Anybody agree with that? Like You find that to be true? And look, can we just take a a little bit of an example from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who, though he was often uh, called upon to minister, to heal, to to speak, uh, he oftentimes would get away and pray. And we see that pattern replicating itself in the disciples, well, now the apostles, in the apostles, Peter and John making a priority to spend time in prayer. And in this case, they're going to the temple. At at the ninth hour, that's when they would typically have a time of prayer, and and so they're going to enter into some time of corporate prayer, it seems like, there. So, they're exercising obedience to God and doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they came upon this man who needed help. And I'm begging the question, or I'm asking the question, you know, what if they had been doing something else? What if they had chosen that day, instead of to devote some time to prayer, what if they had devoted their time to, I don't know, uh, some entertainment or, or, or building something perhaps or, you know, just tidying up around the, wherever they were staying at the time? Um, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight at the end of that beautiful passage that I often read at gravesides, uh, you know, talking about uh, the resurrection of, of the dead, uh, at the end of that whole, at the end of that whole uh, talk, that whole uh, meditation on death and the resurrection of our physical bodies to glory, and how death had lost its sting. Paul writes this: "Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." These guys were. These, Peter and John were obedient to God's Word, and they came across a ministry opportunity as they were doing so. Now, I don't know about you, this is my observation for my personal life, so you know, don't take this as gospel, but I've never come across a ministry opportunity while I've been binge-watching Happy Days on Netflix. It's never happened. I have come across ministry opportunities as I've gone to prayer meetings, as I've gone to my life group, as I've engaged in a one-on-one ministry opportunity by fellowshipping with another brother, there I learn about opportunities that are going on in the lives of folks in the church, and there I have opportunity to take action. And so uh, I just bring that to your attention. Perhaps maybe your life needs to be uh, thought through and reconfigured just a bit. Peter and John uh, I, I noticed that they go together to this prayer time, and and, uh, and they encounter this man. and, and I, Can I say this? I think that that's there's a spirit of a, a, there's an idea of accountability that comes with going and doing things with other believers. Perhaps if Peter or John would have been alone, they might have just walked past the man. But because they were together, uh, they may have felt a sense of uh, a sense of, of positive peer pressure to to uh, to help this man. And we also see that there's the, uh, the lame man has friends, and that's really important. It's important for a few different reasons. First of all, strategically, that's important. These guys, these friends of his, pick them up every day, and they carry them, and they put them at this specific place at the specific time. Why? Because in the Jewish faith, giving alms to the poor was considered a high virtue, and so what better way to collect alms from your fellow Jewish folks as, as to be placed you know, at the entrance to where they're going to go pray at that specific time. So it's probably a, you know, a target-rich environment, so to speak, from the man's perspective. While God-fearing Jews are going to pray, uh, there's a poor man, a lame person, sitting there, stationed, and that's probably the, his target audience. It's why. It's why. It's the same reason why when you see a, a person who. Purportedly is is poor and they're out in the culture today holding a cardboard sign. They're not standing on 23 with the car zipping by They're standing at a stoplight, right? Because that's where cars are going to stop and uh, they're stationed there and and then they have an opportunity to at least ask for help So strategically, it's important that the man had friends, but it's also uh, It's also for other reasons uh, for witnesses, right? Uh, the whole co- there's this whole concept in God's word about witnesses, and so we don't we don't take the word of a single person, right? It shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong or connection with any offense that's committed, only on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, contained in this text is the idea that this man has relationships with other people who are later going to attest to the fact that we know this guy. He's been lame from birth, and now he's walking. So. We can, you know, it adds a level of trust to the, to the text as we read it. In other words, it's not, it's not just Peter and John purporting, we healed this guy. It's Peter and John saying, we healed this guy in the community saying, yeah, that really happened. Again, see the contrast between what we see today uh, as many who purport to be faith healers versus what we see there. Now let's take a, let's take a quick sidetrack before I go on. Um, because it's coming up in the text. We see a poor man, a lame man, begging from his fellow countrymen for, uh, for help. And so I, I just want to point out what the Word of God, I think, my understanding of what the Word of God clearly says, is that uh, for those of us that have means, we do have a responsibility to help those who cannot help themselves. And There's all different kinds of systems and mechanisms that we that we do that. Uh, but the Word of God also says that people who, people who are lower on the mean scale, who are able-bodied, have a responsibility to work for their food, right? 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. In this, in this situation, we have a man who's not able to work. He's lame, he can't walk, and, and he's subjected to the humiliation of begging for his food And so we think about the brokenness of the uh, culture there at the time. All right, so before we move on to the next point, just again, just some thinking about what someone might say about this text. You know, uh, uh, oftentimes um, people mock prayer. You know, somebody dies in the culture and uh, somebody will come up, a public figure will come up and say, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the family of whoever. And then folks will say, well, thoughts and prayers, that's that's not enough. But um, let me just say this, is that what, what is, what's a more powerful tool that we have in our arsenal as Christians is to speak to the God of all creation and bring to Him our requests and bring to Him the needs of other people and to be able to articulate those to our great and awesome God. We, we have no greater tool. It's just that we often don't take up the tool to use it. Prayer is good for us in so many different ways. Uh, one of the things that, that, that I know is true in my life and probably in many of your lives as well is that we oftentimes fail in that we see that we, we live a life that's so dependent on ourselves. We think we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of that, whatever. And we don't understand that even our ability to do things, even our ability to figure things out, all this is a gift from God. And so prayer is a proper response to God and it helps us to build a character and a culture of dependence upon Him. We are dependent upon God. The only reason that we have salvation we gather together in a place like this and we sing these songs to God of, of how great he is and how mighty his salvation is. The only reason that's even possible is because God did it. That he rescued us. So I might ask before we move on, how's your prayer life doing? Do you take purposeful time out of your day to lift, to bow your head and 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 to quiet your mind of the day's hustle and bustle and and talk to the Lord, which is a tremendous gift that we have to be able to do. So they're in obedience and they've come up with this opportunity. The next thing we see in this text is this. What God has to offer is far greater than to satisfy the needs of today. What God has to offer is far greater than to satisfy the needs of today. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. I mean, he's making direct eye contact. expecting to receive something from them but peter said i have no silver and gold but what i do have i give to you in the name of jesus christ of nazareth pretty specific jesus the christ the messiah from where from nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong Few observations here. Oftentimes in our lives, this is true of me, I'm sure as it's true of you. We often are more concerned about our immediate needs, what's right in front of us. I'm hungry now. I have bills to pay now. We are very concerned about our immediate needs. It, later on in the book of Acts, when we get to Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we're gonna see that the disciples, the apostles had to deal with the fact that, you know, the the Hellenists were complaining because the Hebrew widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, right? Or they were they had a complaint against the Hebrews because their widows, the Greek widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. This is natural, a natural part of life. I can tell you a story. This happened to me a long time ago, but I was here at Delaware Bible Church, and uh, these days when somebody comes in, and this happens from time to time, folks come in, from the community and they need help. They need help with their bills. They need help. They've got some sort of financial need and they need help. And we have a benevolence fund that we use to help out in those circumstances. Pastor Brad deals with all those those folks now. Uh, and can I just tell you that he has been faithful when folks come in to share the gospel with every single person that he comes into contact with. And uh, I really appreciate him for that. He He's a uh, He's been faithful to do that but but years ago before that was kind of brad's responsibility i used to get into a lot of those meetings and and a person came into me uh, a lady and she came into my office and she was having a very hard time bills were stacking up and and she needed some help and so she came in and she you know i was asking her a little bit about her life story just trying to get to know her and uh, it turns out that she had many children and uh, no, no man in the picture, and um, life was getting hard. The, the older children were getting into their teenage years, and they were starting to act out in school. And um, in the latest incident, one of her children had, had, had really beaten up another child, and she was just kind of, you could tell that she was just kind of exhausted and at the end of a rope, and she, she needed help. And I said to her, I said, look, we'll help you with your bills, but uh, it's clear to me that you're going through a rough time, and it's clear to me that uh, what could really benefit you is, uh, is to be part of a community that loves you and that can support you, and so here's my commitment to you. If you will come and be part of our fellowship here at Delaware Bible, that I will do everything I can to not only make sure that you know, we support you, but also, I, I will see to it that each, you know, that we try to find some, some men that could perhaps mentor some of your children and just be a part of their lives, and, you know, we've got guys like that that will, that will try, you know, go outside of their normal schedule to try to spend time and mentor and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I th- it looks like you really need help. Can we serve you in this way? And she said, and it broke my heart to hear her say it, I just want some money. I just need help with my bills. So this is often what's on our mind. What's what's the immediate need? But in many ways, much of the Christian life boils down to delayed gratification, right? It's it's looking it's obedience to God now looking for glory that's coming and delaying uh, what, what our flesh wants now. And, and realizing the following, that God is able to do far more than to supply our daily bread. Now, I just want to make an observation from this text. This is a miracle that happens here, right? Peter and John, look at this guy. They, they say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and Walk. And he gets up and walks, and is immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. That is incredible. That is amazing. That is a miracle. I don't care how you slice it. But the greatest miracle that happened to us is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and resurrected from the dead. And now each one of us can experience eternity with God in heaven. In other words, God is taking sinners like us and transforming us into the image of his Son, by forgiving us of our sin and sending the Holy Spirit to take up residence in our lives and to transform us. That's unfathomably awesome, right? We, that's, th- this is the greatest thing that could ever happen to us. We may not always realize it. We may experience days where that's not so real to us. But if we will commit ourselves to meditating on God's Word and thinking about what God has said, we will know. We will, we will understand that what we've experienced is far more than the restoration of our legs. That would be a huge thing for, for, for this guy, for sure. But, but it's what we've experienced is far greater than that. And so it forces us, it, well, not forces us, but if we're, if we're wise, we'll go to Ephesians 1 every once in a while. I would invite you to turn there now as I read. We will go to places like Ephesians 1 and read passages like verse 3 through 14 which remind us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I just can't get over the word every. I don't know about you. He didn't give us 50% of the blessings or 75% or 999 He gave us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You hear that? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he chose you before he even created this thing. What? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, not only has he rescued us, but he's led us, through his word, he's let us in on his plan. We know what he's doing. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's chosen us. He's revealed to us what he's doing. He's sealed us by his promised Holy Spirit. Folks, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you got it good, by the way, that you know that that's Justin Hutz's tagline. He's been using that his whole life. Uh, whenever he uh, sends me an email, he says, "We got it good. We got it good." And so they were able to heal the man from a lifelong impairment, which is far more than receiving alms. I would argue that we have even more than that. But I think this text is here, we're answering the question, what, what can we learn from this text? I think this text is here also to show us the following concept. Jesus, when he was walking on the earth, he performed many signs and wonders. He's gone now, he's ascended, he's at the right hand of the Father. And now we see, what we see is the apostles, through these miracles, these signs and wonders, showing us that these are indeed God's men, Peter and John Are God's men. And that's important because as we think about, and tonight we're going to hear more about the veracity of Scripture, why the Bible is the Word of God, it's important for us to understand that John, who wrote John's Gospel, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and Revelation, and Peter, who uh, probably wrote or or dictated 1st and 2nd Peter and also probably dictated much of Mark that these guys are God's men. Because if you took a string and you stretched it from that wall all the way to that wall, and that string represented a timeline of all of human history from Genesis 1-1 till present, that every once in a while on that timeline, there's a little bead or a little, you know, a thing that's hanging on that timeline that represents when God was breaking into history and saying, this is my man, whether that be Noah, right? Whether that be some of the Old Testament prophets or David, whether that be Jesus Himself or these apostles, every once in a while on that timeline, there's a little there's a little blip that says that God's people are active. They're God's this person is to be listened to as God's messenger or God's man, God's person. And here Peter and John are exemplifying that. And these men had a a, a, a hand in writing down what God had said. Remember. Uh, Jesus had told them, "The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you." And so, these guys—it's important that we understand that these miracles reflect that these are God's men, and that's very important because, look, some of you younger folks that are about to head off to college—you're going to get to college, and, um, and and can I just say—and I'm not trying to be glib. Some of you are going to go to colleges that call themselves Christian colleges and you're still going to hear this argument there that the Bible is just a book that's written by a bunch of men, right? It's not really God's Word, it's just a whole bunch of stories that are put together. You might want to come back tonight to get to bone up on God's Word before you go off to that college experience. But this text today, really, this text today, you could just take them to Acts chapter 3 and open it up and have them read verses 1 through 10. And say, look, the people that were in the temple at the time, after uh, you know, after Acts was written, they could have stepped forward and said, you know, I was in the temple that day. I was in the temple that day when this was going on, and uh, it was totally fake, right? You had John on one side, and you had Peter on the other side, and they were holding up this lame man with his feet, you know, his lame feet dangling there, and they were saying, look, he's walking, he's walking. It was all a trick. There was. No, but they didn't, see, they, they, this didn't happen, these, these accounts weren't disputed, and, uh, and so we conclude from this that these, these guys were this man was actually walking and leaping, and everybody who understood this man was a lame man from birth, saw him walking and leaping, and were filled with wonder, and you could simply ask them, if the Bible is just written by men, if it's just, it's just a bunch of stories, then what does that mean? Where are all the people to write and say, and to argue and say, this isn't true. I was there. And that's happened over and over and over accounts like this throughout God's word. So be careful about such things. The third thing we see in this text is the result of an encounter with God. The result of an encounter with God is often praise and amazement. Look at verses 8 to 10. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So here you really see the reaction of the man. He's walking, leaping, and praising God. He's, he is saying, what has happened to me is a, re, is a result, because the, you know, Peter and John, when they, when they healed this guy, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so they are ascribing, he is ascribing, the man is ascribing, what has happened to a work of God. Then you have the reaction of the crowd who recognized him. They knew him as that guy and were able to be filled with wonder and amazement to to bring to their minds the question, what is this all about? And then Peter is going to start talking to them and explain it. Now again, again, one of the, some of the, the counterpoints that you'll get from the culture is well, if this really did happen, it was just a mass delusion, right? Somebody suggested that it happened. Maybe they dressed up a man to look like the lame man and then passed him off in the temple. You know, it was like a trick. And again, one of the things about Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, you know, one of the things about Luke is he is a doctor. Seems to be a very detail-oriented person, and and he. Writes with specificity. He's, he's telling you, telling us not only uh, what's going on, but where. He's at the temple, not just any place at the temple, at the gate that's called the Beautiful Gate. We can go back and look, and we can find historical records that that gate was a real place uh, and that it really existed, and, and that um, he's being specific. It's Peter and John who don't always appear in the text together. And, and here we see an episode with these two going to pray it's at the ninth hour which was according to Jewish tradition when they would go off to pray and so there's many details that point to the fact that this really happened but the most powerful thing in my mind is the is the witnesses so many witnesses that observed and did did not dispute what happened you know there were historians that were there were historians that were writing down what was going on at the time josephus and other scholars that were writing down a history of what was happening and, and one would think that if they did any kind of level of asking around, of like, this thing in Acts chapter 3, is this real? That, um, that folks could have said, no, I was there. It was all a bunch of nonsense. But again, these things really happen. So what can we learn from the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate? Here's the answer. We can learn this, that God displays his power through his people resulting in praise and wonder. God displays his power through his people, resulting in praise and wonder. Joe, just a few notes of uh, observation today before we take off our application, possible application. And that says, are you practicing obedience to God's word? We mentioned prayer earlier, but again, you, you don't know what God has said on a matter unless you study his word. And, and, um, and practice the things in it that he has told us to do, such as prayer. Are you practicing obedience? Are you giving weight in your life to fellowship with other believers, whether that's through a life group, uh, coming to prayer meeting, a, a small group study of some to- sort? Are you, giving, are you giving priority to the things that God has told us to give priority to? Would encourage you to reconfigure your life to do so. Secondly, are you convinced that a person's greatest need, right? When a person comes to you and say, I'm in need, are you convinced that their greatest need is Jesus? It's more than getting uh, today's daily bread. We have needs for today's daily bread, but there's a greater need. It's greater than being healed of a physical infirmity. The greatest need that a person has is to understand who God is and who and what He has done through His Son Jesus Christ. That is our greatest need. So many people in our culture today walking around with so many burdens, so many burdens. And those burdens are manifesting themselves in so many different ways. And, and the culture uh, oftentimes refers to those things as mental health problems, uh, depression, anxiety. Um, what a, a weight is lifted off of you and me when we learn that our sins can be forgiven, that there, there is grace for us if we come to God and we repent of our sins, confess them to God, and seek forgiveness from Him. If we pursue Him through His Word, The joy and the simplicity of living for Christ, that's our greatest need. Third, are you convinced that you're the person to orchestrate that meeting? You have friends, you have family members, you have coworkers that don't know Jesus Christ. I'm sure that's true. It's true in my life. I'm sure it's true in your life. If you don't have that, if every single human being that you know is a Christian, then you live in a bit of a bubble and you might want to get out once in a while. But you have to, we have to understand the balance of God's sovereignty and our responsibility, Right? God is sovereign, and He is going to save who He's going to save. And I don't know how this works, but but we have a responsibility to share the truth with people. And God somehow uses that in His overall plan. And so, when you are around someone who is unsaved, who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you ought to feel the burden to share the truth. And I would encourage you to make the step to, to do that. Um, you, have to, you have to reason in your mind that maybe God has put you in that person's life for that day, for that encounter. And, um, and perhaps it's time for you to open your mouth and share the hope that you have. And then finally, is your joy found in making the introduction and watching God work there's a ministry out there, uh, I think Pastor Aaron, well, I think all three of us are, but I think Pastor Aaron's pretty familiar with it. It's called Dare to Share. And Greg Steer is the leader of that ministry. And one of the things that he consistently says is that uh, his whole thing is to try to help young people and to, ch- to help, to equip, to challenge young people to share the gospel with their friends, right? Christian students to share the gospel with their friends. And he says, I've heard him consistently say, you know, when a young person when God grants them that, that they share the gospel with someone and that person ends up coming to Christ and perhaps they even engage in some discipleship activities, it's like a light clicks on and their joy is all now, uh, their, their joy is oftentimes then found in that kind of activity, that kind of ministry, the ministry of the word, the ministry of prayer and watching God use that and, and transform someone's life. And, um, you know, I know people who take joy in all kinds of different things. Shoot, I know people who take joy in lining up all the pencils on their desk exactly straight with each other, right? Right? But what but my question to you is what does that do in light of eternity? And the answer is nothing. Really? It may look nice on your desk and it may you know, but, but what does that accomplish in the light of eternity compared with opening up your mouth, as awkward and as scary as it may be, emboldened emboldened by the reality that this message that you're sharing with them could be the difference between heaven and hell, and just sharing it, and then watching God work. It may not be in that first encounter, it might not be in the tenth encounter, but watching God do a work in that person's life I mean, here's a pattern that I've seen is that, you know, you, you share with the fact, you, you just share with someone that you're a Christian, that your hope is in the Lord, that your, your sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, and then you part ways, and then years later that person, I've had this happen. They call you up and they say, you told me once that you were a Christian and I'm having a rough time in life right now. Can we get together and talk? It may just be something like that. But is your joy found in that? In, in helping people understand who Jesus is and then watching him work. I would encourage you to find your joy there. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Uh, we, we recognize this thing that we're carrying around with us called our Bibles, whether it's on our phones or, or in our laps, that these, this is your word. And we can trust in every single word of it, every letter, every punctuation, uh, Father, we, we, we believe it, and we thank you for it. It's a tremendous gift. Father, I pray that this gospel, this good news message that we carry around with us, that we can receive forgiveness of our sins and new life because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your son, your only son on the cross, that, that this message would be on our lips, and we would be eager and filled with joy to share it. And Father, we pray that you would go ahead of us and work, open up hearts and minds, uh, do what you do, and uh, you'll receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.